Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it product availability just one part that makes o'reilly stand apart the professional parts people oh 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 o'reilly auto parts Welcome back to Cutting the Distance. I met today's guest in my booth at the Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show probably eight, nine years ago. He was a quiet guy. He didn't say a whole lot. He was kind of sitting in the corner, and uh, I knew he was good at long-range hunting, and I was kind of getting into it, so I kind of forced him to talk to me. Um, That's not exactly how it goes. He's a great guy, just very, very quiet, and I was getting more into my rifles, you know, my loads, figuring out how to get all my equipment dialed, and uh, he was a great resource. So John Pinch um, is my guest today. I don't know. He's, he's too humble to probably tell you how many, but I know he's won hundreds of shooting events between the NRL, PRS, and other shooting events. When he's not <laughs> shooting, um, it seems to be traveling on some pretty pretty kick-ass uh, big game hunts across the country. He'd want to be better known as a family man. I know he's got two kids, you know, a wife that, that they spend a lot of time with. And so uh, welcome to the show, John. Yep, thanks for having me, Jason. It's good to talk with you. <laughs> I don't know if I spend a lot of time at home because I'm gone so much, but yeah, my wife and kids are awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, how's everything going? Yeah, no, it's been going good. Um, been pretty busy traveling a lot the last, like November, December was real busy. So it's actually been really laid back. Uh, just past New Year's here, um, had a pretty fun Christmas, been hanging out with the boys and just laying low, working on some stuff at the house. It, it feels pretty good. So kind of revamp and getting ready for this next year, making some plans for uh, business and shooting and I've done landscaping for a long time kind of phasing out of that um, slowly but I think this year is looking pretty good to hopefully wrap that up and focus continue to focus more on on the shooting side of things so it's going good so that's a great segue John like what does a typical year for you look like as far as hunting versus shooting um, like what's what's a year in your life look like yeah, I, I fly by the seat of my pants a little bit more than some of my buddies where they plan out their whole year. Starting in probably, let's see, into this month, January, the shoots start kicking off. NRL Hunter and PRS, which is the Precision Rifle League or Precision Rifle Series. And um, um, 
there's shoots all over us canada you know went to south africa this year to shoot one there's some in norway they're all over so pretty much you could shoot almost every weekend especially through the spring and early summer uh the heat of the summer kind of moves some of the matches around like generally there's not a lot of Arizona matches in the middle of the summer and stuff like that. So I usually am kind of, if I have an open weekend, um, you know, there's not a a big family event or, you know, I try to get to the kids baseball tournaments and stuff as much as possible. But as long as I got an open weekend, I'm usually booking a flight somewhere and hitting a shoot somewhere. So I try to shoot as much as I can. Hunting uh, Trump's uh, competition. So the last couple of years, um, we had hunts booked over the precision rifle series finale that took a little wind out of my sails for really hitting the season hard, knowing I couldn't shoot the championship. Um, so I shot three, four matches instead of, you know, eight to 12 or some guys are shooting 15, 18 matches a year, which is, which is a lot. That's a lot of flights, a lot of travel, getting guns ready and everything. So, um, I try to shoot as many shoots as I can, um, schedule permitting and hopefully I'm doing more in the next few years, the way some of my schedules changing, but then hunting trumps all that. So some of our hunts, we've got dates booked and planning for next year. Other ones, we try to keep a pretty loose schedule. We've hit multiple cancellation hunts the last few years. Um, just went up to Kodiak last minute, just on a DIY thing a few weeks ago. That's when you, I think you initially texted me, you're, yep. you do a podcast. It's like, I'm heading out on a plane tomorrow to a little drop camp. So I was yeah. trying to kill a sick of blacktail. So, there you go. um, but yeah, kind of some of that stuff's just like I said, last minute. But that's kind of the way the schedule looks. I'm still working, got family, kids, we got baseball, we got you know, fun stuff going on like that too. So Gotcha. So so real busy. You can shoot as much as you want. And then do you do you tend to focus on yep. PRS more so or NRL or do you have to hit like a certain amount of events to qualify? Like how how do you juggle that as well? Like there's all these different events or maybe just like, you know, single events. Like how do you yeah. how do you how do you play the I, game? I mean it's kind of kind of personal preference i've done interall hunter probably a little more i wanted to uh there's a an interall hunter there's there's a open class which your gun can weigh 16 pounds or less so you can run whatever you want up to 16 pounds there's light class which is 12 pounds or less there's factory which they have a list of factory rifles you can't mod them at all you take it out of the box at tika bergara whatever their list is and then there's teams where you two guys can sign up and shoot teams. And I wanted to be the first one that won every class. So take an open gun and win the overall shoot, not just first in that class, take a light gun and win the entire shoot and then take a factory gun and beat all the custom rifle guys for the entire shoot and then do it in teams. And so I actually shot interall hunter a fair bit cause I, I did, I did that. So that was kind of just an internal goal of mine. Yeah. And so that's what I did more. So I probably, I think I shot, four PRS matches um, last year, five, and ended up shooting. I was able to shoot the finale this year. Um, dude, I got sixth at the finale, so it was good. It's the top 250 guys, and so I shot. I had a good match, but I had one bad stage that, yeah. you know, it, it takes it nothing to drop to drop a few spots. So it's uh, there's some killers though. There's a bunch of really good. I have a really good friends in that in that in that group, and some guys that are super dedicated to yeah. it. So. Um, it's yeah, just kind of, I kind of ebb and flow like this year. I want to hit PRS a little bit more. It's, it's, a you know, it's heavy, more purpose-built guns where in or a hunter is more hunting type yeah, of guns where right. the PRS is, you know, it's a, you're shooting a 20 pound, you know, six, six, five, 25 cal gun, not much recoil, lots of movement, real fast shooting, which I'm, I'm real good at. Um, 
but it's the pinnacle of shooting. Like it is the best shooters in the world. Yeah. And I, I want to shoot that more just cause it makes me better. Um, yeah. Interval Hunter is a different, it combines glassing, uh, position building. It combines a lot of different elements that I love. Um, but just purely shooting PRS is, is, yeah. Is yeah. difficult. It's Cause there's target acquisition in NRL. Like you have to spot your target, get your own, you know, all of that, which yeah. adds into the yeah. game, the game. Um, so I want to, I want to rewind just a little bit. You would never say this, yeah. but it was internally in your head. You basically took a gun that you could buy off of a shelf and then went and beat the, some shooters shooting the yeah. best, most fancy guns that you could build. Yeah. Yeah. So, I did barely, but I, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you would, like I good. said, you're, you're very, you know, modest, humble. Um, but, but that just kind of, for all the listeners, lets you into kind of how good John is. And, and he'll never say it, but I mean, to take a gun <laughs> that's that's literally a stock gun and beating, you know, custom rifles, um, it, it kind of just hints to, to how good you are behind a gun and, and you know, your, your dedication, your time, you know, you're always shooting, always reloading, always tinkering. And so it goes a long ways to, yeah. to kind of just explain, you know, the level that, that you're at. And so I, I think that's, that's worth, um, stating so we're gonna we're gonna jump into some <laughs> into some listener questions yeah. now like we always do um okay. these are a couple uh question and answers we've we've pulled from social media um if you have questions for me or my guests uh please email them to us at ctd at phelpsgamecalls.com or, or hit us up on a social media uh, message or, or a social post so our first question today comes from tyson well i screwed that all up tyson <laughs> lundahl um how do you go about judging um, for wind down range and over terrain features? And I know this is probably like the trickiest part of everything we're going to talk about later. Um, yeah. You know, like there isn't wind on your ridge. What are the signs or what are you picking out out there um, to make your wind call? Which, which I, I, I don't know your answer, but I'm going to assume that, that up and down is, is pretty easy um, for the most part, but left and right is where the whole game and the art comes in. But go ahead and explain yeah. like what you can use to, to figure out when, <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, so there's, there's the art, um, and the science of long range shooting and wind is the art, right? There's, it's never fixed. It's, you're never on a flat plane. There's ups, there's downs, there's lefts, there's rights, there's eddies, there's box canyons that swirl. So, so there's the science, you know, there's a lot of data there's a lot of ballistic calculators there's a lot of things that do a really good job with crosswind jump and every variable you can imagine and then there's the art of it and so there isn't a hard and fast answer you pretty much you look at anything you can get you if there's grass if there's trees if there's anything in the air if there's rain if there's fog anything that you can see you take into account obviously i mean it's kind of a kind of a no-brainer. Some people say, oh, you, you watch train when water rolls. And yeah, that's, that's good, but that doesn't also cover – water doesn't roll uphill. And so if there's a big updraft, like, I don't know. Like, so I've had some big updrafts. If I'm, say, I'm on a, a valley, I'm, I'm up here, I'm shooting over here. More, It's actually more if I'm up here and this is a long valley running out – and there's like kind of hills on this, you know, here and here, and there's a valley coming at you and the wind's coming at you. If I'm shooting across to those with a strong wind in your face, you'll get a, I'll get a big updraft on this hill. That wind's ripping up this hill and it'll hold my bullet up. And so those are all things that are so hard to take into account. Um, it kind of leads into another, I think the most important thing that you can do as a shooter and it's, um, it changed a lot of my, I don't know, philosophy is the right word, but um, 
gun gun build choice, weights, calibers. Uh, so I can spot my own shot. You have to see where your bullet lands. And a lot of guys don't. A lot of guys shoot. The recoil has gone. They rely on their buddy. And if they're solo, they're out of luck. They shoot and they hope they hit it. And um, if you can spot your shots, stuff happens. You can make a bad wind call. You can do anything. But if you can spot your shot, generally – you can measure that and make a quick correction and get a second round impact. Yep. That's not ideal. I'm just saying there's stuff happens and no one's ever right a hundred percent of the time on wind. And so if I'm on a Canyon and it's calm where I'm at, generally you can hear wind or you can see wind. you know, something's going on. Um, if it's that far, if it's, if you're two canyons away, generally you're talking like thousand plus yards, depending on the train. I'm going to recommend cutting the distance. I'm not the long range guy. I've shot as much as anybody or more. And I'm not going to, I'm never the guy that's backs up to another hundred yards. So I shoot a thousand instead of 900. And I'm not going to post that on social. We've made a lot of long shots. I'm never going to, people ask yeah. how far I just don't say, I don't, I, I, there's elements of long range shooting that I, that I, I love it, but I also, I hate the social media killed us at 1400 yards with one shot. I was like, well, you couldn't do that. If we went out and on steel, you'd miss that steel a lot. I know you would cause I've shot more than you. Yeah. <laughs> Not to sound arrogant, but yeah. it's no, hard. No. And so you take anything. I mean, generally you can hear wind, you can see it, especially evergreen trees are real easy to read big fir trees. You can see the, 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 the direction the wind's hitting the backside of the trees, relatively calm. The front, the branches are kind of peeling around and then it's just experience. Hey, is that a seven over there? Is that a 15 mile an hour? And then if it's dead for 300 yards, um, you don't have wind until you hit four and 500 yards. So you can, we're getting a little deep here for a podcast, but you can, yeah, no. you can run your brackets out. Like when you shoot a, when you shoot a bullet, the the biggest deflection is right out of your gun. If you take a bullet off course out of the muzzle, it's going to be way off course downrange. If it doesn't go off course till three or four hundred yards, if you're pr- protected along a clear cut tree line, or it's just you're in this some sort of you're in the bottom and it doesn't get into the wind until you shoot out the top, then you're cutting your wind drift down. The first four hundred yards don't see wind, and maybe the last three hundred yards see a fifteen mile an hour. So you can kind of break that down into brackets of what it's yep. going to do. Yep. All that comes from experience. I wish I had like this really good answer. You do this, this, and this. It doesn't exist. It's an art. It comes from a lot of practice and taking everything into account. What I see a lot of guys do is the moment happens, it's quick. Half the times they forget to dial something or what. just they don't level their gun. Go through your checklist. Make sure your range is perfect. These are no-brainer things. Make sure your level is perfect. Take a second to slow down and make a really good thought process on wind. Study the trees, study the cobwebs floating, anything you can see, and don't be afraid to hold wind. In the comp world, we talk about like missing on the pro side. So beginners always miss downwind. They never hold enough wind. And so missing on the pro side would be missing upwind. If you're gonna if I'm gonna miss a plate, I wanna miss upwind because you rarely overjudge wind. It's just like a natural tendency. People get scared to hold that much. Hold that far so, off. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things we could, you know, we could talk about this forever, but I think just slow down and be very aware. If you're not comfortable, cut distance. Generally, if you're looking over a couple canyons, you can get to the next ridge. Like, yeah. Just cut cut the distance, get to 600, 700 yards. Yeah. And one of the things, so. you know, especially on wind that I like to do is in, in my ballistic calculator, if I, if I think it could be a five, but then it could be a 10, I want to go look at the difference. Like how much air is in my, mm-hmm. my calculation. And if it's more than 
what's acceptable at that range and I need to get closer, you know? And so it's like, how confident am I that this is a five or a 10 or is it, if it's only 500 yards, it's not going to matter. Right. But if it, if I'm taking a shot that's seven or 800 and it starts to move that bullet an extra, you know, whatever it might be, I'm like, well, that's not, that's not ethical. You know, in my opinion, then I need to get closer or not take the shot. And so I do a lot of that. Like, here's my envelope. I think it, it could be as low as three. Yeah. It could be as high Man as and 10. Yeah. And then like, where does that move my bullet? And can I compensate for that? Am I still going to hit vitals if I'm at either end? And can I, you know, split that? Yes. And it, it, yep. it, like you say, it's all an art, what you're comfortable with. Um, and, and I'm going to go, this kind of a good segue yes. to our next question from Charlie Smith. Who's my buddy on my good time hunting partner. Oh, Charlie. Um, uh, you, you guys, you guys banter online is always gold. Oh, oh yeah. And this, this, <laughs> this banner kind of comes into this question where it's stuff that we all yeah. talk about behind the scenes, but when you, you, you don't want to necessarily knock long range hunting, but so Charlie Smith's question is, do you think long range rifles are ruining hunting, which is a, is a fair question. Yeah. And, and when you say yeah. ruining hunting, is it ruining our season, shortening them? Is it taking too many animals? But like, what's your opinion on that? Because it is something that I feel like we should have to be able to answer if you're going to shoot. And then the other thing is what is 100%. long range hunting defined as, which I don't even want to get into yeah. right now, but like in your opinion, is this whole long range movement, is it, is it affecting hunting and, and to, to what degree? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't understand how you, you could say it's not. How is technology not? I mean, when I started archery, I mean, I shot archery for years. Years ago, a 40, 50 yard shot was a tough shot. Now my, now my bow's got a slider and I can, you can stack arrows at a hundred yards. Like it's, it's, and you look at muzzle loaders, right? You look at these crazy muzzle loaders that are shooting smokeless powder, some of the States. I mean, I think those rules are changing, but yeah. there's muzzle loaders five, six, 700 yards, you know? And so, yeah, absolutely. More animals are dying. People are getting better at hunting. There's so much information like this podcast and many others and internet forums. So yeah, I think it is. I think states, I think I, I worry about a lot. Uh, hunting, I've had the opportunity to go on some, some high-end hunts that are out of my budget that because of, because of the buddy I have and experience both sides of things. I mean, I grew up over-the-counter hunting. I live in Western Oregon, grew up in Western Washington. So we're hunting rosies and blacktails, parked in a trailhead, which used to be three or four trucks. Now it's 10 or 20. Yep. And so we all see the same thing. I see how money is affecting opportunity big time. Um, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It just is what it is. Um, and hunting is, yeah, killing stuff with the rifles easier than it used to be. Um, I think, unfortunately, fish, you know, fish and game departments get funding from tag sales and they're not going to cut numbers. And I wish they would. Yeah, I think there needs to be less opportunity. I mean, you look at Arizona and the way they look at hunting. I got a lot of buddies down there like they apply their whole life and they hunt with other people because they draw every five, 10, 15 years. But they hunt every year with a group uh, just because tags are so hard to get. I don't like that. But there's the reality of supply and demand, um, quality. I don't, and it's also a different value. Some guys like to go out and shoot a fork and horn. I want to, like, I love the idea of finding a big buck. Um, so I wish there were, you know, I wish there, there needs to be less tags in some areas. Yeah. I mean, it's a sticky, people are going to get fired up. Um, but yeah, I think it does. It makes it easier. Um, in some ways, um, I don't like the guys I already mentioned this that are like puffing their chest up cause they shot so far. Um, the braggadocious of that kind of stuff bugs me. Um, yeah. But um, it happens in every everything. Oh, I shot this at 
55 yards with my trad bow. I shot this at 120 with my compound. I shot this at 500 with a muzzle loader, and I shot this at 1500 with a center fire. It's the same thing across the board. Everyone's yep. getting better. Everyone's getting dead, deadlier, and technology's yeah incredible. We're we're so I mean I don't I don't know what the answer is. Yeah yeah no I I think I think we 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 both know and then I'm I'm on the side where yeah we've got and I would I say we I I. I I should uh, be careful to put myself in the same boat as you, but like we have the ability oh, to, to shoot, to shoot like long range, but I take more pride yeah. in that. I snuck into that buck at 150 you know, or hundred. Yeah. yeah. I had a long range rifle, but I was still hunting, you know, and, and yeah. I just, it seems like you just have the skills necessary to, to take the long range shot if you need to, or a follow-up shot. But, um, yeah, I just mm-hmm. assume see a trad guy kill at five yards, you know, or, a or a compound guy yeah. kill at 10, you know, whether they can shoot at a hundred or not is a different story, but it, to me, that's yeah, the challenge. A hundred percent. I mean, we all want to be ethical and, and competent. I, I loved archery hunting. I shot more bulls and deer with my, well, not deer. I've shot more elk with a bow than I have with a gun yeah. and, and shot quite a few deer. And I liked it cause it was challenging. When I, back in the day, I'd sighted my, whatever I was shooting with my 30 odd six from 300 wind mag or whatever. And then I was done. I was like, it's not fun to shoot that gun at 200 yards. And so I was geeking out on the archery side and then found out about long range a long time ago. Yeah. And, um, and it just was interesting. It was fun. It was challenging again. It was fun to make wind calls. It was fun to learn that art of it. And so, um, I, and then I started hunting that way and it, it is fun. I mean, I've, like this year, pretty short kills. I got, uh, I shot, I killed a big white, my biggest white tail at, 65 yards i was working it was working these does and it was in this thick stuff i just worked in on it and then you know shot my sit cut a couple hundred i don't 250 yep. um just a lot of closer range stuff this year um it's is it easy i think it's easier to shoot an animal at four to 600 yards than it is at 50 to 100 most of the time uh because it's calm i'm prone like i'm not gonna miss that shot yeah and yep. and so yeah i don't know i mean it's a, it is a debate and I totally get it. I'm not one that's going to defend it. I don't like when guys pick sides like compound guys or, yeah. or muzzle loader guys. We're all, we're all doing the same thing. Um, game yeah. is it's the sports change. And I don't, it's been weird the last three yeah. years watching, watching the money and, the, and everything change. And I, it's a lot, it's all of it. It's all of our, it's social media. It's everything, but it's, it is changing quick. I don't, yeah. it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I think that if, if we're going to be willing to do it, we just have to accept or like you said, make changes like Arizona that our seasons may shorten because our takes going to be higher. Yeah. We're going to, you know, because of some of these things and, and technology advancements, but then I don't want to be a hypocrite and say that we shouldn't have them because I'm also using them because otherwise if yeah. you're not, if you don't have the ability, you're behind everybody. And so I, I think it's just a personal decision. Um, I like the, the art and the, the science and the nerdiness behind it yeah. and, and getting a setup that you're just like, you know, super confident in, you know, for me, like 500 yards, like I'm going to put this bullet inside of a two inch circle at 500, like no question where before, you know, growing up, I had a three by nine loophole, very X2 where you're like, (laughs) Oh, just aim to the post. You know, that's all you ever heard on those duplexes. Like 500, no matter what gun, no matter what caliber. (laughs) Um, And then put it in the back. My gun shoots so fast. I put it in the back to a thousand yards. (laughs) And then the one thing that really drives me nuts, and I'm going to throw some of my own family under the bus, you know, because they had custom guns built because we were out doing it and maybe taking longer shots. And, you know, I can like my dad, you get like 10 bullets down the barrel and be like, all right, build my dope chart and show me how to dial this thing, you know? And I'm like, well, I don't know if like, you don't have a coach there or like understanding all this. And like my uncle going on a deer hunt, um, this year, like 
He never chronoed yeah. it. He went off of like somebody else's load data for a different gun, oh, and then like, oh, I should be time. good. He's like, he's like, I should be good like eight hundred, right? With this, I'm like, no, you don't. Like, no. you haven't confirmed no. anything besides a starting no. point, you know. And it's and the same. It's the same guys that get their gun bore sighted at sportsman's the night before season and think they're ready to go hunt. And it's the same yeah. guys that buy a bow the week before season. So it's the same. It's the same mentality. There's. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't, it yeah, know. There, there are guys out there. Care. We don't geek yeah. out like we do. Yeah. And they think that just buying the equipment gets them there, you know, and it's like, no, there's yeah. a lot more to this. And so I'll, I'll diverge. 100%, um, I, re- yeah. I, I know Charlie brought that up more as a joke, but it's something that we talk yeah, about. When, when I say, ru- when we say ruining hunting, I wouldn't say it's ruining it, but it's definitely no. affecting it in a, a way. Yep. I mean, yep. but what is it like? How is Onyx not changed it? How is everything we do? like the the application services and yeah. mapping and everything i mean or easier everything's to use changing call. it yeah i mean you could throw calls, my call yeah. you could throw us under the bus like easier it's to use calls so now you have more people that can use and so yeah more. i mean i'd be hypocritical to say this but it's just something i think is a is a is a general group of people you know hunters we just have to think about and, and make good decisions moving forward um I think I think just being aware of it, having the discussion. Everyone's using technology the better. Trucks are farther, cutting gears lighter. You can go in deeper. You you stay drier. You stay warmer. Everything we do, nutrition is lighter. Uh, Peak put forty grams of protein instead of ten, like Mountain yeah. House used to. Like, yeah. Everything's better, right? So yeah. you can you can do. Um, it, I think the discussion and just to be aware, you can't get mad about it, but I think you got to be open to potential. Uh, tag cut numbers and being not drawn as much. Um, I think that's ultimately where we need to go. I don't know that we'll do that because fishing games relying on the sales. Yep, yep. We'll see. It's yep. and then now we got wolves. Yeah, yeah. We won't get into <laughs> that's that. That's actually long range. It's just in case <laughs> I see a wolf. I love uh, there's it. no ethical distance for a wolf. So yeah. take that. <laughs> We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself 
and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. So this is this one may just pertain to long range, and I'll let you put the parameters on it. So, when do you take? And this comes from my buddy Cody Wilson out of Wyoming. When do you look at things like azimuth and and bullet like spin drift? Like when do those things come into play? Is that only when you're looking at like really long range? Maybe explain azimuth for people that you know don't understand. For Coriolis, yeah. yeah. If you take a heading that generally referring to Coriolis effect, rotation of the Earth. I mean, that's I would say. I don't want to say never, but pretty much never. Um, yep. That's not going to affect anything. Spin drift, absolutely. I mean, you'll get I, for sure have your spin drift on in your calculators. If you're zeroed, almost all barrels are right twist, which means if your your zero is dead on left to right, you're going to hit right at distance because your bullet's rolling to the right. Um, so yes, absolutely use that. Spin drift is going to be it's going to be. It depends on the caliber and the twist. You know, it can be four, five, six inches of a thousand. Um, plus or minus, and it's definitely moving your bullet. So yes, do spin drift, um, Coriolis or your azimuth, not near as important. Um, I'd say in hunting distances, it's nearly, it's irrelevant. Okay, You're irrelevant. Gonna, uh, that would be my opinion. Some people yeah. may argue that, but I, I don't really know anybody that would argue that a whole lot. Yeah. So. And- and I might misquote you. I know at one time um, you had actually told me to sight my gun in at a hundred, a little bit to the left to kind of account for that out to what I would consider my hunting distances. Right. And it kind of just, it, yeah. now you just said, keep it on your calculator, which I don't want to discredit that at all. But for a guy like me, that's not going to shoot at an animal unless it's a follow-up shot ever past the thousand. Like I want to say we were like an inch, maybe inch and a quarter left at a hundred, which doesn't hurt me at a hundred, 200, 300, oh, but that's then a lot. Yeah, okay, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Half. I would never say that much. I'm usually half. if I'm left, I, I'm shooting mills now. I shot MOA forever, bolter grade. I'm not going to go into it. Mills MOA discussion, but I shoot mills now because it's in the comp world, and I do like a lot of aspects of it. For I think there's some benefits to it in the hunting world as well. But um, uh, so each click in a mill is roughly 0. 0.33, 0. 0.36, whatever. Um, if if I can't land on my zero. If I'm if I'm gonna be either left or right of my zero point, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to go be left. left, a little okay. left. Yeah, it's I'm not I'm never gonna go an inch left. An That's inch. a lot. Okay. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. But if I'm gonna choose either left or right, I'm gonna choose left yeah. and just kind of have a mental note of that when I'm calculating spin drift. And we're talking in the hunting world. You're right. It's not near as important. I mean, five, six inches at a thousand, that's a chunk of, but you know, in your three, four, five, six, seven hundred yard range, you're talking a few inches, you're still in the vitals. Um, it's going to be more of an issue judging the wind, um, than spin drift. But if you're dead calm and like, I'm trying to shoot a, uh, like a two inch steel target at six, 700 yards, you, if it's dead calm, you are going to miss, right. 
yeah. you're you're going to misread. So you have to take that into account on tiny yeah. little skinny targets. Yeah, and so. then I I actually ended up avoiding the going left at all plans, which has probably saved me. It sounds like because that would have been too much. I just went back to zero, and then like you have mm-hmm. my spin drift calculator on. Yeah, I think um, that's the smartest. Yeah, yeah. Back uh, in the day, I mean, when I started, I'm kind of getting old now, I guess, but there wasn't spin drifting calculators. There's everybody just knew like, oh, these bolts kind of go right, so I'm going to zero a little left. I mean, and then yeah. you just kind of had that mental note. So it's progressing like. You get the new, like the Kestrel 5700 with applied ballistics. Like they've got crosswind jump and spin drift. You got every calculation at Coriolis. They got everything in there. I mean, it's a, a you know, and those apps are on on your phone as well. And different yeah. things like that. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, that was, that's going to kind of wrap it up for the, the listener questions. Um, once again, you have questions yeah. for us here at Cutting the Distance. Please email them to us at ctd at phelpsgamecalls.com or send us a message and we'll do our best to, to again. So now we're going to kind of jump into my discussion, um, yeah. you know, on, on the guns and the equipment. Um, but before we jump into those conversations about the guns and components, which everybody loves to talk about, right? Because you can yeah. control that with money. But you can't, but let's talk about what, what in my opinion, really matters, and we'll see if you agree, is the things that you can't buy with money, you know, whether it's reading the wind, you know, the art of it, Mm -hmm. a bunch of trigger time, you know, hundreds of thousands of rounds. Like, what defines a good long-range hunter versus a guy that goes out and buys a $10,000 rifle? Um, That that equipment's no good if you don't have this other stuff. So what what do people really need to know in order to, to, to start pulling the trigger at long ranges or be effective when they do? Yeah, I mean, I... You obviously the list is super long. I think, I think you need to be interested in it. It's gotta be kind it's gotta be somewhat of a hobby. I think you could make the argument. Uh, and we, and I do do this. We train people and stuff. We take guys out that have more money than time. You know, some of these, some of these bigger, um, some of these guys that go on pretty big hunts are they're business guys that make a, a pretty good income. And so they don't have a lot of time to go shoot on the weekends and they're not going to travel around to comps. Their time's more valuable than that. So, and it's not their, it's not their deal. So um, you can make the argument that in that generally what was, what was sh- rifle shooting 300 yards and in type of a thing, 400 was a long shot. You could make the argument that three to 600 yards with a good setup gun and limited knowledge is nearly automatic. And so I talk with a lot of guys It's like, man, I'd really like your limit to be in that six, six fifty range, unless the wind is howling and maybe less. I think when you get past that five, 600 yard range, you re- you need to, it's gotta be a hobby. You gotta be interested. You gotta shoot. You can't go out and shoot four or five rounds a year. Um, your form, your follow through, your trigger pull, everything is not, it's not going to be adequate to, to do, I, in my opinion, to be ethical, you know, to make a 700 yard shot, even have the wherewithal to think about, okay, the, the thermals are coming down this hill, a little bit of left to right. I'm going to, you know, just all the basics to stay calm um, in a situation. I see guys get so keyed up when they get in and they're getting ready to take a shot that all the thought process of the small things go away. And I think you can get that by shooting more. You go up, you go up in a clear cut and shoot. I tell guys to go up, take five rounds or 10 rounds and go shoot in a clear cut, shoot some rocks at, you know, 500 to a thousand yards and don't just shoot, shoot, shoot. Like, oh, I hit it. See if you can hit it on the first round or see if you can get real, real close. Cause that's all that matters. If you hit on your fifth round, it's irrelevant. Like the guys that shoot new world record at 4,200 yards and you shot 17 rounds. To me, it's, it's, I guess the equipment's interesting to get a, you know, whatever. I don't want to, it seems dumb to me. Like, yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't 
close first round impacts. I don't want to throw the the L word around on that. You know, like you said, one shot finally hit at seventeen, but like. I don't want to yeah. say, and this is going to, I don't know if we have any extra, you <laughs> know, fine. extreme long range people here, but yeah. like at some point, like you hit it one out of 17. Yeah. It's still a feat and you still accomplish something, but was there a little bit of luck involved finally that you did 100%. hit it the last 16, you know? And so yeah. I, I, just like you. And, yeah. As a disclaimer, uh, there are, they're doing the world records are now they're doing like three consecutive shots, Cole Moore plus two at 2,532. Like that's impressive. Like I'm I'm not going to discredit that. We, you know, so anyway, disclaimer, the whole world record thing is to me is stupid, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then like growing up around here, what we considered long range growing up, you know, we have a pretty good range here where I grew up. Um, You know, a lot of guys that were bench rest shooters here at the, at the Mm -hmm. PL range, they would always do, they would shoot at a, at a a target, maybe a hundred yards off the deer or the elk that they wanted to shoot in a clear cut, get the wind right. And then they would bring their gun back over, which just like you said, like you want to make that first shot kill, but maybe I don't want to bring up ethical or moral either, because if they're shooting seven, they know what their drift is based on this spot shot. And then a lot of times those deer elk wouldn't even get bothered by it, you know, with the muzzle break or or a can or whatever they may have. And so that's kind of how we grew up. That's what I thought long range shooting was. And then as I got into it, I'm like, no, I want to make the right, corrections up front mm-hmm. and then i'll take my shot at the animal and then have a spotter and then make a correction mm-hmm. if i need to but um yeah i go that's into- not a bad that's not a bad as funny as that may sound to some people that's not if you're shooting at long range and you can't cut the distance and you, you trust your gear and stuff it's not a bad idea to take a shot like that if you can swing over you got a rock face or something you can shoot 100 200 yards to left or right that's, I don't want to discredit that at all. If yep. you've got something funky, you're like, Hey, I'm going to take a test shot. All right. We win calls on or it's off make correction to kill the animal. Like that is a decent, a decent idea to keep in your head. Yep. If the conditions are real sporty. Yep. Yep. No, so, it's, anyway, that's how we, I know what you're saying it. though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there, yeah there's an sure. art to it where you want to like, you don't want to, it's almost like you're using a cheat code, like on an old video game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want, I don't want that information. I just want to try to do, but I, I, yeah. almost, I also feel we owe it to the animals that if, if you, there's any doubt in your mind, you know, that this, this might not work out how you think it will, then, then that might be a good option is the, the sure. you know, and you had mentioned, and maybe you've For changed, sure. but like on a windy shoot or even a competition, you've maybe not waste one, but you may test to see what the wind is. So you can clear the stage after that first shot. Is that, I, I thought I'd heard you once, like you um, may, you used to do that maybe that you would. No, you, I maybe no. a misunderstanding. So the only, the only time any of the top guys will do anything is if, and this is rare. I can, I don't, I might've done it once ever, but I'm always trying to hit the target. The idea is to hit the target, read where you hit the target, move your impact to the center so you can stay in there as the wind changes. But um, every once in a while, there's a couple stages. I wish I would have done this. You'll get a, a, maybe a skyline target at 800, 900 yards, where if you miss, you see nothing. Nothing. And so you'll see guys go up there. They think they've got it. Boom, miss, boom, miss. Now there are three, four misses deep where, so sometimes on a stage like that, you could put one in the dirt, like at the base of the T post and then go to the target. So you're dropping one shot instead of two, three or four. So on a skyline target, generally targets were usually somewhere where you can either see trace or you can, you see bullet trace going left to right, or you can see where the bullet actually lands. But it's it's a pretty rare it's a pretty rare uh, occurrence when you would burn one in the dirt, but you could. There's been yep. I think I've done it once. I gotcha. Yeah, so. misunderstanding there, but yeah, that makes sense. Just but, you know, try to spot your shot on the target 
and then yep. make your adjustments if you, you know, micro adjustments at that point, um, to yep. stay on or, yep. or be center. Yep. Um, yep. yeah, that, that makes sure. a lot of sense. So let's get into the equipment cause it's, it's what everybody <laughs> wants to talk about. Everybody so, wants to talk about gear. <laughs> yeah. So like gun selection where for yep. me, I made the decision to hunt with multiple guns. So I've got a big yep. long range gun that I don't like to pack around. I went with a, yep. uh, kind of a, a do it all mountain rifle and seven short action ultra mag. And then just recently got a yep. six and a half PRC as it seems like some of yep. these, you know, so, so that's kind of my, my, I either have a 338 edge, I've got the seven SOM or I've got the six and a half PRC. Now, um, yep. when people are going in, you know, some random person going in, they're going to, going to get a long range gun built. Um, what factors do you think should weigh into that gun? Um, and, and then how do you go on about like starting with a caliber and then going from there? So I've always been uh, component first. I usually pick my bullet and build the gun around that. And I've been a big burger bullet fan for a long, long time. I've recently actually shot some solids. I'm like, and we'll see playing with some different things, um, but been a burger bullet fan for a long, long time. So I'm the same as you. I, I have a 6.5 PRC. I like a 30 cal um, and a big 338. I haven't shot my big 338 near as much as I used to. Mostly I'm 6.5 and 30. Um, and but I kind of like the idea of you know a few different golf clubs in your bag. So yeah. for different different hunts, different weights, like so I'm going to pick my bullet. If I want to shoot a 215 hybrid uh, burger, I'm going to kind of see it's a 30 cal. I'm going to see do I what do I want to shoot. Well, I want to shoot good brass. Generally, that's been Lapua the last handful of years. Now we have ADG. Um, we've got Peterson. We've got Alpha. We've got some pretty good brass selections that aren't your typical. Norma was consistent, but it was soft. Um, you know, then you got all your Hornady and Federal stuff that's not not to the quality of some of the premium brass brands. So I'm going to pick my brass. So I'm going to go lately. It's been Lapua makes 300 Norma. 300 Norma has been really easy for me. Spot my shots. Good. Um, speeds are decent. I'm not a speed demon. Like a lot of guys, gosh, a lot of guys are into horsepower. They're into fast cars. I, I get it. It's fun, but I am a slow and steady wins the race in the gun world. And it took a lot of shooting to get to that. And every guy that gets into comp shooting, doesn't understand it until you shoot a while and you realize that the faster, crazier guns tend to be a little bit more finicky. So if I can run a, 20, a 215 at 2950 to 3000, 3020, like I don't really, I don't want to run at 3150. If it shoots great, I mean, you can. I'm not saying don't, but man, the consistency that I get out of 2950, 3000 is just day in and day out. It's not finicky. And so I, that's how I pick my gun. So then I pick my barrel twist around that. I, if I want to have a, a midweight gun, I like 30 cals in that 10 to 11 pound range just because I want to spot my shots like I talked about earlier. A good muzzle break, um, 6.5 PRC. I'm, I'm, I like the 156 Burger a lot. Um, and then, you know, ADG makes good brass. Lapua makes brass for it. Um, and I'm going to run that gun in probably between an 8 to 10 pound gun, probably with a bipod, with everything on it. And I run a big scope. I don't, not going to skimp on scope. That's the last thing I'm going to skimp on. Um, and so those are kind of my weights in that 8 to 10 pound is I'm a 6.5, 10 to 12 is a 30, and then 12 or above, 12 to 16 is a 338, yeah. something big. Um, so I think a lot of guys are moving to that kind of thing. It works really well. I've shot a lot of stuff with my six, five. I probably shouldn't like, I've shot a couple of moose with it and some bears, some bigger bears, like just cause I'm so confident. I shoot it so fast and you can see your shots just so stinking good. Cause yeah. it just doesn't kick. Yeah. So, and so at um, the point, at the point you're selecting, 
um, your round and your caliber, are you already you've already decided whether you want to reload or whether you want to shoot box ammo, right? You you have to make that yeah, decision I'm based reloading. on. Yep. I'm reloading it just just because I mean I'm said I got I reload a lot. I mean I've reloaded. Yep. I don't even want to think of how many rounds I've reloaded. So I've got a big room full of a billion presses and just anyway I do all that. So yes, in in it's been awesome the last few years, and I think the reason the six five PRC. The seven PRC, the three hundred PRC has done well is because Hornady's doing a pretty good job. Um, we've we've shot a set up a bunch of guns with guys like, hey, I want to shoot factory ammo, so we'll get a few different lots of six five PRC or seven PRC, and they shoot pretty good. So that, that that's a good thing to bring up. I I don't even it doesn't really enter my head because I'm I just know I'm going to reload. Um, but yeah, if you're going to reload or if you're, if you're going to buy factory, I would probably lean towards those rounds right now. Cause Hornady's doing a pretty good job, pretty affordable, pretty good bullet choice, high BC, longer range bullets. And they've been good. I mean, six, five PRC has been, been real accurate. Yep. Yep. So yeah, that, that's, that's kind point. of, like I say, you know, and then do you also, I mean, we've had some discussions about 300 PRC versus seven and what your target animal or like what the gun's primarily yeah. going to be used for. So if, if, you know, for an elk guy, or, or a moose or elk guy primarily versus if you're just going to be a yeah. mule deer hunter. Like, how do you, like, is there an energy idea? Is there just like your experience on, on terminal performance on game? Like, how do you decide, like, all right, I want, yeah. I want to be able to shoot this gun out to 800 for elk, or I want to be able to shoot this gun out to 600 for deer. Like, how does that weigh in yeah. on your final, um, you know, and maybe you don't think of that as much as maybe the guy that's wanting to buy, a, you know, a, a different guy wanting to buy a gun should think about it. Yeah. So there's the thousand foot pounds of energy on impact. There's all kinds of different theories out there. Um, I am a big fan of less so now, but I think overkill is always better. I, some of my stuff is anecdotal. I don't want to talk bad about seven mils, but I, back in the day I had a 280 Ackley and I won't say what bullet I was using. It wasn't a burger, but I was using some bullets and had some real bad experience on elk. It's an accurate round. Seven mils are awesome. I mean, there's, there's a lot of good seven mils out there. I just had, we had three different Rosies, no, two Rosies and one Rocky that we shot with that gun in one year. And it was really, really bad performance. So that's pretty anecdotal. There's a lot of different bullets. Some of the bullet placement was most of those, all bullet placement was good. It should have been adequate. You could say not perfect. It wasn't a double lung heart shot, but it was at, it was in the vitals. It broke bone. Um, And so since then, like I've shied away from it. So I, if I'm going to go elk or moose, I'm going to default to the 30 almost always. I've had really good luck with the 215, the 230 burger, and even the 245 you know, the 212 ELDX, like there's a lot of bullets that guys have had really good luck with. So I, I want a little bit more impact. That being said, I shot a Shires this year with a 6.5 PRC and dropped it. It was quick. It was a 300 yard shot and it yeah. dropped it fast. So, um, yeah, I think more energy is better. I like a bigger hole. I think it's not just energy. I feel like man, 338s and 30s seem like they kill really good. And I don't, maybe it's subjective, but it seems like diameter. And a lot of guys I talk to that shoot a lot of elk always seem to like thirties more than sevens. So yeah. personal yeah. preference, but I like, I like thirties. Yeah. And then like my three thirty eight, and I don't want to get into the, like the you know, nerd out on it completely, yeah. like those big 300 grain pills and like just oh, a sectional, buddy. just a sectional density of those. They don't, 100%. and it's, 
my family growing up like, oh, you're going to have no meat left. And I'm like, I've killed elk with 243s and I've, I've skinned your guys out that have 270 holes in them. Like the sectional Whatever. density and the construction of this bullet, like you can eat to the hole yeah. versus your guys' little bullets that explode. Like, don't give me the 243, 270 doesn't waste any meat. Like the yeah. sectional density, the hole, like I always get an exit out of those 300 grain burgers because there's so much energy yeah. to go through. Um, and so that, that plays into it a lot in my opinion as that. well. I shot coos deer with my 238, 300 grain bullets and it's 338 in and it's a quarter out and you're done where yep. I've shot them with some smaller guns and it's a little hole in and six softball out the other side. So, yep. I mean, again, hitting bone, things change. You guys know that, but, yep. um, yeah, three, I mean, yeah, I love 338s are awesome. I just, I can't spot the shot generally in the way that I want to carry them. All these backpack hunts we do, yep. like, I'm just not willing to do that right now, weight wise, because I'm <laughs> I've been ca- packing camera gear. All my gear weighs too stinking much, yeah, so yeah. I'm trying to cut some weight somewhere, and it, she- it se- seems like I go down to that six five PRC or a thirty cal. Yeah, gotcha. So. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time: Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. (laughs) 
we've got, I mean, you build your rifles. You've had lots of rifles built for you over the years. Like how important yeah. with, with all the technology out there and everybody building pretty good stuff, like how important yeah. are the triggers and barrels and bedding and stocks? Like the, all these things are, you know, when you go to build a gun, you pick the barrel, you pick the stock, you pick, you know, and yes. then the bedding, the bedding's a little bit of, of the, the art and, and the gun builder and, and making sure that's yeah. done right. But in your opinion, yes. like it, how important is that stuff when you go to build a gun or, or should you just go with what your builder recommends or what, you know, if I'm coming to mountain forge yeah, I mean, to have, have a, a good, yeah. If you have a good builder, trust what they say, you know, um, I, we've done everything from, you know, a lot of the, like a lot of the chassis say they're dropping ready, bolt and go. And I've had great luck with that. I also like betting. I've also epoxied them together. Like I, like I'll do that too. I love that. Yeah. Dude, I, now yeah. I know there's no variables. And yeah. so, yeah, triggers are important. Use the best trigger. Like, I think the top triggers right now are trigger tech, which is what I run and Bix and Andy's making some real good triggers barrels. I've had, I've seen every company there is make bad barrels. Um, and, but there's the, the top there's, you know, you've got benchmark Krieger, Bartland proof. There's a whole bunch of good barrel makers. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving a bunch out, but if there's an, if they're in name and barrels, they're generally going to be fine. And everyone has made a bad barrel. It's the way it goes. There's all, there's been, I've seen every scope break there is. I've never seen a single brand not break. You just want to pick stuff that's got a pretty good reputation and it's tough. And so, yeah, I think all those components play together. They're important to me. I think there's probably, there's a lot of custom rifles out there. In my opinion, I'll bet 80 to 90% of them aren't being utilized. The load development's not done. People don't, their chronos are different. They're switching lots of powder and they're not rechecking their gun or re-zero. And they're switching lots of bullets, lots of brass, their barrels wearing. People, some people don't know the barrels speed up. Like a, yeah. a barrel's going to speed up at 50 to 100, 150 rounds. And it's going to speed up 20, 50, 70 feet a second. And they just get their load done in 20, 20 rounds. And then they go hunting a year or two later, like, why am I missing high or what's going on? So stuff changes. You got to, I mean, I check my guns all the time before every single hunt, I chrono and, and shoot it. I shoot at least to 600, um, but stuff changes, but yeah, get the best components you can get, but the setup, there's a lot of good guns out there that aren't being utilized um, correctly. So, and that comes from guys geeking out on it, being a hobby, learning and getting their guns set up correctly. Gotcha. Now, now we'll go into the optics and we talked about all the gun components. Yeah. Now, maybe just as important, if not more important, or, or what you're going to, you yeah. know, glue to the top of the gun or stick to the top of the gun, you yeah. know? And uh, yeah. so what's, what's your opinion? How do you approach optics? Um, you know, you're mounting, like, is there a best way to mount? Are there multiple ways? And then, and then ultimately, what are you looking for in an optic on top of your gun? Yeah. So the whole lapping of rings and stuff in my opinion, shouldn't be necessary. I've never done it. If you're using a good, if you're using a good action with a straight rail and good rings, they better be straight. Um, so I've never lapped any rings. I've never had any problems with the scope. So I don't think that you can ignore some of those things that used to be a lot more commonplace when guys lapped rings, when receivers were crooked and rails were out of spec and stuff like that. So I think that element is mostly gone. Um, so I just, I use good rings. I, Nightforce makes great rings. I like the loophole Mark IV rings, uh, Hawk. There's a lot of good rings out there, guys. So use, use good rings. Don't skip on that. Don't make sure you're, if you're, I love actions with integral rails, you know, machined into the action. If you're, if they're not, take those screws out, clean them with alcohol, use Loctite. You do not want your rail coming loose. I can't tell you how many guys have brought, John, I'm in a jam. Can I, can you come? 
took my gun out before season. I got to hunt next week. And so they run over to the house. We'll go up. We'll sh- I was like, yeah, everything good. Yeah, everything's tight. Everything's tight. I was like, okay, we go up there and shoot four rounds. It's all over the place. And I was like, hey, your scope's, you know, pull the scope off, check the screws, they're all loose. And so that happens a lot. So just common sense, guys. You can't assume you got to pull everything apart, clean it, Loctite it, and then redo it. I don't, you don't need to Loctite your cross bolts on your rings, torque those. Most of them are 55 pound on the cross bolts, 55 inch pounds. Um, and then, and then follow your torque specs for your caps. They're, they're usually pretty good. You can use blue Loctite in your caps if you want, but just make sure it doesn't move. Um, the biggest hang up I see with guys getting it, and I don't know if hang up's the right word, but, um, they're hesitant to spend the money they need to on a scope. I, w- I would much rather see a guy shoot a $500 gun with a $2,000 scope than a, you know, a three or $4,000 rifle with a $500 scope. Yep. So all day long, I mean, I've had broken scopes. I've had scopes that don't track and it is, you're not going to hit what you, you're not going to hit anything. You're not going to be consistent. You're not going to be able to figure out your drops. Nothing's going to make sense. So spend the money on a good scope. I would say if I would say at least uh, it's at least 1500 bucks and scopes go up to 4,500 bucks or more. I mean, some of the ZCOs and the tangents, I don't know how much those are now, but they're a lot. But if you're in that, you know, that, that loophole Mark five range, night force NXA night force attacker. Um, I know guys, some of the guys are liking the Trigicon, the 10 mile, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of good scopes out there. Um, yeah. but spend the money on a scope. Yeah, <laughs> don't yeah. skimp on a scope. Don't buy, I don't, well, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but there's some scopes out there that you need, you need to spend more money on. If you can, I understand yeah. there's budgets and there's yeah. stuff, but if you can afford a, you know, if you can afford a big truck payment, buy a nice scope. <laughs> yeah. And uh, with that <laughs> said, I think we both we both hunt with the same rifle, right? You're you're a Mark Five guy um, on your hunting rifles, and and they are aren't they on your competition yep. guns as well? Yep. yep. Okay. And then I I've got Mark Fives on two, my Seven Som and my 338 Edge, and then I uh, I shoot the VX6 four to twenty four on my my six and a half PRC. Um, okay. Cool. So I did. I did switch. I haven't shot those enough. I get questions about those the VX5 and six HDs, and I just haven't messed with them enough. Yeah. I've heard. I've heard decent things about them. I know they're light. Yeah. I just am so reliant on. Oh, I'm so. I just want the most durable scope. Yeah. I was. I had a hard time. I think I've said this before. Like, um, I had shot loophole years and years ago, and I had switched to Night Force uh, just because they were they were tanks and it was the old loophole Mark four, no zero stop. This is a long time ago, but, and then, you know, I was talking with Riza over at loophole and she wanted me to shoot for them. They said, you know, the Mark five's coming out and I was pretty hesitant because I didn't love the Mark four to be honest. And so I've gained a lot of trust in the Mark five over the years. I beat that first one up, like tried to break it. Just, I dented it. I dented the objective. I hit the, I was, I beat the crap out of it and it held up and they've held up really good. I've had some big drops on hunts. I've had big drops on competitions and I haven't had any issues with them. Um, so yeah, I, 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 yeah, I've grown to I, trust them a lot. I, uh, I, I'm a nerd, so I'm always doing research. And the one thing the PRS does is it always shows you like what scope are the top 100 shooters using? What yeah. triggers, what barrels? And, and so I went back, yeah. I think it was like 2018 and you go back and it's like us optics. <laughs> and, and uh, I don't know if you get all the credit for this or if it's a, a group of you guys, but you, you go back to like 18, 19 <laughs> before the Mark five nope. was released. And you're like, Oh, loophole has like two Zero. shooters. Yeah. Two shooters. And yeah, they might they be were, in the 50 were, to hundred. 
No, those two shooters were uh, industry partners that got a free invite to the finale. Gotcha. That's who gotcha. those people gotcha. were. And they were running the Mark the Mark Eights back in the day. Yeah. So and nobody was running them. It was it was, and now it's it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I pulled it up the other day. I think it was well, it was December first. Um, I, I remember because I, I was talking to Dirk and I pulled it up. I said, well, "What's everybody in twenty three using?" And you go there and it's like seventy yeah. percent of the shooters are now using the Mark V, which it's it's, it's kind of cool to see that change. So I mean, you know, yeah. the top shooters in the world are now trusting that 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 Mark V yeah. is going to do what it's supposed to do and what you've proven it can do. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, when you guys were relying on that thing to return to zero Crazy. perfectly and that every, yeah. you know, that every click is as close to one as you can get, it's probably never going to be 1.00, yeah. you know, but it could close. be, but it could be one. I have a could tracking be board at point. my house. Yeah. I, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, or, or, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's, it's splitting hairs, but you could be 0.9997, which is all, yes. you know? And so, I mean, that, that things is, is dialed as, you know, I walk mine around 20 MOA at a hundred just to make sure it shoots a square yeah. and comes back to zero. And the thing's been super yeah. repeatable and never off track. Yeah. Yeah. I do the same thing. I have a big, like 14 foot tall board. I track test. I put scopes on this big 50 pound steel thing with a pick rail and i've track tested a ton of scopes and i've had them i've had them all because i had an early prototype one that was a little bit off but that wasn't for sale and yeah. every every production mark five i have is tracked really well i hear things on the internet guys like hey are you really do you really trust the mark five i read this on the internet and i'm like man i haven't seen it i i do trust it that being said night force makes an awesome scope there's other companies that make great scopes yeah. um but i do like the mark five i think the balance for the cost, I don't want this to be a sales pitch, whatever. But the cost, the weight, and the performance is pretty. It's pretty good. It's pretty. And the, the locking elevation, and then the I like the capped windage. Yeah, yep. if you throw your gun to scabbard on a horse hunt or something, like it, it's it's a, it's a pretty durable scope. Yeah, so. that was one thing that crept up and bit us on my dad's three hundred Ultra Mag. We were in Colorado on a deer hunt, and it doesn't have capped windage. And somewhere yeah. along the way, it got off, and he missed a shot at a great meal deer at like three hundred, not even a long range shot, oh. but his windage had got yeah. turned so much. Yeah. um that it put them off and so yeah that's I another love a cap windage yeah. yeah yeah and then uh i'm pretty excited maybe i don't want to sound, sound too sales pitchy but i know the day that this podcast launches loophole's kind of following up their mark five with a new mark four hd which will be kind of in that that mm -hmm. same realm prices i'm not going to even get into the price because i don't know per model but like really really attractive for um you might be able to change your your idea that you need to spend x on a scope because it sounds like we might uh get an option yeah. that's that's you know we have to do some more testing but uh yeah see, yeah we'll yeah see i it. don't know a ton of what i can you know talk about but the, it's gonna be you guys will see it it's the mark four it looks very very similar to a mark five a little different tube size i think we talked about uh, they're going to a 34 on them instead of a 35 on a bunch of them but it's going to be cheaper um they're taking a lot of the tech out of the mark five um it's going to, it's going to, from what i've seen when i the ones i've played with it's pretty impressive and again i'm not one to say I never recommend something until I use it a lot. Um, but from what I've seen so far, it looks pretty, it looks pretty impressive. So price points are going to be really good. It's, it's not a replacement for a Mark five. It's going to be, uh, it's kind of the tier below. And I think, you know, we'll see improvements to the Mark five is probably due for a revamp at some point. So I think it'll be the Mark four. Then, you know, we'll just keep, keep going yeah. and progressing. Yeah. So it's, it's cool. It's, um, it looks you when you guys see it, you'll laugh. It looks they did a little tiny subtle changes to the turrets, but it looks like a Mark Five. It's yeah. it's, a, it's a sexy little scope. Yeah, so I'm excited. They about changed it. The, instead of like a 525, it's a 624 type of range. So they they changed that a little bit to a 4x. But yeah, it's 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 cool. 
Yeah, yeah, excited about that. Um, now, now let's go into, into issues you might. So you've you've got your gun built now. We've got our optics mounted. We're we're all dialed yeah. in there. Like, what issues could pop up? What if, if the gun builders did? Like, what have you found? Um, or like the first things, <laughs> everything. That, uh, everything, but like, what are, I guess, what's the most probable issue and like, where oh, should you start? Man. I, I've seen so many weird things that I can't even, uh, I've, uh, boy, I've had, I've had good brass from companies that I, instead of testing and measuring everything, I just trust but open it up, size it, check the next and rock and roll and have issues with internal volumes that throw weird stuff off. One of the weirdest ones lately is I was fighting and fighting and fighting a carbon barrel, a carbon barrel gun. And it was like, I'd get some good groups and some bad groups. It just wasn't as consistent, consistent as I would like it to be. And I fought and fought and fought. I took it out. I checked, just redid it. I can't remember. I changed the bedding. I changed stocks. I changed scopes. I changed everything. I went, changed bullets. I changed powders and I could not figure it out. The last thing I did was I pulled the muzzle brake off to just triple check that it was clean. There was, it wasn't carboned up and it wasn't. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to put on a different brake. So I had a really lightweight, a titanium brake that was really light. And I just threw on one of my comp brakes. And so I went from like a, a one ounce or a sub one ounce brake to a, like a, an eight ounce brake. I think it was just cause I was, I was going to throw the gun away. And I put that other brake on and the gun just shot like, I don't know. I don't want to say quarter inch because that's whatever, but I had a three eighths consistently. And I went from, I'm talking, I went from an inch and a half to just sub half inch, just like just switching the brake and it stacked at a hundred. And I was like, okay, this is, I'm running the heavy brake on this gun. And it just, whatever that barrel, whatever the deal was with the harmonics in that barrel, the weight off the end of it just settled it down. And that's hmm. what a lot of guys, the weight of a suppressor, or weight of a brake will change things. So I, that's just one example of things I've seen. I've seen, so many different things, but, um, I, I can't really say it, you know, pick one, but generally if you're going to work on a gun, um, I do try, I shot Hodges and powders a lot. I like the extreme lines. I like, you know, 4350, um, uh, H1000. I like a lot. Yeah. Um, Rotumbo went away for a long time. I haven't shot Rotumbo in years and I, and I didn't like it as much. I did get some weird pressure spikes with Rotumbo back in the day that I didn't with H1000, 4831, Varget. All those powders are great. Um, there's a lot of good powder. So go with trusted components, good brass, good bullets. Go with, try to eliminate as many variables as you can so you don't question things if there's an issue. Yep. But there's all, there's always stuff going on. Like I said, bullets, barrel speeding up, lots, lots of powder changing. I've seen, a lot of speed differences in, in powders the last handful of years since COVID. I don't know if everyone's manufacturing was stress and everything. And I feel like the lot to lot variance was bigger than it used to be. So if you guys are, you got three pounds of this and you run out and you go buy an eight pound of this, it's the same powder, check your speeds. Pressures yeah. most likely will be different. Um, some real basic stuff, but a lot of things people overlook. Um, and even do some measurements when you switch lots on bullets. So yeah. I try to buy big lots of stuff, so I don't have to do that. Like if I can buy like forty or fifty pounds at a time of powder, I don't have to worry about that as much. Yep. Um, I try to do that, but um, I need you I'm also going through a lot. I need you to explain that to my wife. Why I needed thirty-two pounds of H one thousand RL twenty-six yeah. at the same time um, was to was to make sure that there wasn't any lot you know variation and yeah, um, and you got to protect her when the world ends. You got to have a yeah, stop. yeah. <laughs> there you go. But, <laughs> but like you talked about good good powders, like my H one thousand, like my ES, my my spread on uh, three thirty eight yep. edge is like single digits. 
on the edge yeah. and whether it's That's hot good. or cold where we tried to chase a little bit more performance with the RL 26, but I tell you what, if I go out and shoot that gun at 80 degrees here and then go out and shoot 100%. it at 30, I'm like this, it, it wasn't worth chasing the speed. And, and yeah. uh, you know, I don't know if you've messed with Vitavori. Vitavori seems yeah. to have like a little more of that performance edge, but a lot more temp stable. And so we're, yeah. we're doing some switching around even in my own loads, but yeah, that was, one thing my RL 26 did switch lots in between like my first load versus like this new load. And I could not, the gun was, you know, sh- literally dropping primers out the back, not even just like ejector yeah. marks and sticky bolts, like dropping primers when I, I'm like, Oh, that primer. Fell out. <laughs> That's and, bad. and like when I was here, like yeah. it was, it was shooting well. And then we had to go back and like move everything on that load. Like the powder changed the, you know, how, yeah. how deep we were seating the bullet to get the pressures to get in the right spot. And then now yeah. the gun shoots lights out again, but um, yep. One thing we didn't talk about, which we don't even have that much time, is like when you get a good rifle built, you know, and, and you you've built it backwards from a bullet because that's going to have to, you know, getting way into the, the the deep end, like where you're going to chamber the gun, how far out you're going to push that bullet, and and try to be in, you know mm-hmm. out of the lands and all of that. I was I've been amazed. Like one thing that really kind of you made me like open my eyes is just how finicky it is with tens of grains of powder and bullet seating and, and, and the, the balance of that. Cause you might have a gun that shoots, you know, quarter MOA as long as you're doing your job. But if you don't get that node just perfectly and, and get your bullet seated right or get the right amount of powder and get that all to match in, you might have a gun that's shooting, you know, three quarters to one MOA on the same gun that you just mm-hmm. bump things a little bit and it just seems to dial it yeah. in um, was one thing yeah. that's like, wow, I didn't realize it mattered that much. Yeah. I think I don't, Honestly, I don't know if it does. Um, if you take a 338 and you're running or whatever, if I take my Norma and I'm running whatever, 85, 84 grains, whatever it happens to be. If you drop, if you go to, if I'm shooting 84 grains and I go to 83.8, so two tenths less, and you go shoot a three shot group, maybe that group looks tighter on that group, but it's not going to look tighter over a, over a sample of 50. Yeah, It's just, it's too gotcha. small of a percentage to so, change. So, so what, what so percentage, I don't think it, I don't think it does. What percentage do you think matters? If you start to move a half a grain of powder, does it start to. So in the bigger guns, I generally do bigger jumps. And if I'm having problems, I will shrink down, but I don't think it matters as much. I think what I've been doing more lately is, is, I try to stay anywhere away from pressure because they can get finicky. And like when you said about dropping primers out the bottom, you guys need to be careful when you're on really, like I live in Western Oregon, you grew up Western Washington, it gets really wet and water causes pressure. So this is like a disclaimer outside your question. But if you're anywhere close to pressure under good conditions and you're pouring down rain and everything's soaking wet, you're going to pressure out really hard. So you guys can do water tests. You can pour out water on your ammo, feed it, shoot a couple rounds, get that chamber wet and see if you still are pressure free. So that's just a, a tip that you got to be pressure safe with water. Yep. So Going back to the other thing, what I do, I've been doing more lately is I generally will know there's enough information or I've shot enough calibers where I know there's a speed node for different calibers. For whatever reason, like my 6.5 PRCs, depending on barrel length, it seems like 2,900 to 2,930, 2,940 with the 156 is a really, really good speed accuracy-wise. And so I generally, what I've been doing lately, it's been working pretty good is I'll experiment a little bit with powder and maybe half grain increments, some bigger jumps. And then I'll hit that speed. I'll just load to 2920 and then I'll do seating tech jumps. I'll go 20, 50, 80, 120. Like I'll do big seating depth tests and, and kind of make some corrections off of that. That will change your speed a little bit. The bigger the, 
the the closer you are to the lands, you're, you're to with your bullet loaded, your pressure is going to spike real quick. And that's like back in the day when Weatherby got all that speed. They just had massive freeboard built into their guns. So they get a bigger running start with that bullet, slam it into the lands, and you can get more speed that way. You can load more powder, all that stuff. So um, your speeds will change as you as you get closer and further away from the lands. But I've been doing some testing that way. Uh, it's been working pretty good. Uh, kind of tuning a load with seating depth. Gotcha. Um, and so, but yeah, I don't, in the small guns, like when I'm shooting my dashers a lot, when you're loading 30 grains and, 29 and a half or 31 grains. Like I'll do the 0.2, 0.3 grain increments. But if your gun is going to change, like I don't want my gun to change. If I load a 10th or two either way, I I don't think it's going to, I think over a big sample size, it's not going to, if you go shoot a 20 round string or a 10 round group, you shoot a five shots and five shots and five shots, let your vertical, whatever. I don't think your groups are going to be that much different. I think they're all going to kind of cluster into either a half inch or a three quarter. Gotcha. The whole quarter minute gun idea, God, that's bench rest territory. Every yeah. once in a while, I get a gun that seems to do that. But that's when people say quarter minute, if I do my part, I just call BS like yeah. 90% of the time. It's just, it's, it's just a, a, a real <laughs> rare gun to do that. Yeah. And it's just in a light magnum. I just don't. The shootability of those is difficult. If you're in a bench rest gun, I get it. I'm not arguing with bench rest guys, the guys that shoot the, you know, the, the PPCs and the hundred yard bench rest and then different things like that. Like those guys are shooting tiny, tiny groups, but that's a different thing than we're talking about. We're yeah. talking about hunting. We're talking about field. We're talking about position in a field that's not ideal. You know, if you could shoot half inch, half MOA all day, you're killing everything everywhere. You're not missing anything. So, I mean, if you, t- if you can extrapolate that all the way out, you're shooting two and a half inches of 500 and five inches of a thousand, you're not missing anything anywhere. Yeah. And so I want, cons- I want slow and steady, consistent day in and day out. I don't want big flyers. I don't want pressure spikes. I don't want to be anywhere near my pressure limit, which if guys are shooting reloader powders have been really, really accurate for me, but it, generally those are the guys chasing speed. They're grabbing 16, 26, 33, and even the bit powders are the same thing, the 565s and the 570s and the big magnums. Those guys are chasing speed. And I'm just, I'm not that guy anymore. Like, I'll test them. And if they shoot great, great. But they have been more finicky. I feel like the bit powders carbon up more than hydrogen. They're way dirtier. Same with reloader. Um, I just haven't had as good as experience with them. Gotcha. So, yeah, um, no, we you like i say there it's obvious through this podcast you've got some topics we can go down some giant rabbit holes yeah, we just don't we can forever. do we can do a series because there's so oh, much yeah. to it there's so much to it and you know even some of the info that i thought i had you know you, you've got different you know where we're we're doing these little ladder tests at you know 0.3 jumps on a, a 93 grain low to my edge you're saying didn't matter as much as we thought it might have just been me shooting that group versus i do um, i there's Man, I don't want to like rock the boat, but no, do if it. you're doing one shot ladder tests, I, I think if you do a bunch of them, if you do the same test three times in a row and check those flat spots, I do, there are nodes, barrels whip, there are speeds that shoot better. Like I said earlier, it seems like I've like 29, 20, and 40 with a 65 PRC and 156. I like, they, it seems like they shoot there a lot. Um, there are different nodes. So I'm not arguing that. And yeah. in, in theory, the ladder is supposed to show those nodes, right? But I've also, you've got extreme spreads. You've got your brass prep, your consistency. If you shoot that same test three, four times, and so it's 30 or 40 rounds and you overlay all that data, I'm okay with that. But when guys go out and shoot one round once and like there's a flat spot, I call BS on that. Like I've tried it. I just don't do it. Yeah. Um, 
I, <laughs> it's, 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 it's good info. It's good to have. I just think that the statistical relevance of it isn't near as significant as people think, unless you have bigger data samples. Yeah. So some of the best shooters, one of my, like Jake and Morgan, those guys are kind of, like Morgan's top of the game right now. He's one of the, he's a great shooter. I travel with him a lot and he's like, he just goes and shoots 10 and 20 round groups. And he goes, if it's five, eights, whatever, he goes, I'm going to win a match. He goes, you're going to, you're going to, you know, so he just, he doesn't even hardly do load development anymore. Six, five Creed with a 150 class bullet running at uh, 2680 to 2700 feet a second. It's going to shoot there. You know, if it doesn't, it's the barrels problem. That's kind of his mentality. I, I geek out a little more than that, but um, it's, when you shoot a lot of big data sets, your little one and two tenth tweaks start to go away. It gets frustrating. You're like, oh, wait, this is kind of meaningless because I shot one three shot group here and I shot another three shot group. You know, you need big data samples. Yep. Gotcha. Um, so talking yeah. circles a little bit here. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's great information. So. And, and, you know, it's like same thing on the archery side where we used to all paper tune. And now I'm to the point where you know, depending on the bow, you get it set and I'm just going to get my broadheads and field points to, to match in. And I, you know, we skip paper sometimes. So there's different ways to get yeah. there where you're, you're just yeah. focusing on that speed that, you know, from so many, you know, trigger pulls and chrono checks that you're like, I'm going to get the gun there and then mess with seating and we should be good. Um, which and sounds like that was worked a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no. And that's where I don't want to, I changed powder. I, the guys are like, Oh my gosh. You know, but you know, you do tweak powder, but just, if I get to know a gun a lot, like I've shot a lot of six dashers, Six five creeds, twenty five creeds, six five PRCs, three hundred normas. There's a lot of rat guns I've shot a lot, and it just seems like I started all that with you know three tenths and half grain increments and up and down and seeing depth, and it just seemed like every gun kept coming back to a general bar ballpark, and that's why I'm saying that I started with the powder thing, you know, but I I have changed a little bit over the years, some a little less time too. It's like hey, I know it's going to get here, let's get here as fast as we can, do a big seating depth test, and try to do bigger sample sizes. You know, I'll shoot a three-shot group. With magnums, I don't want to shoot a 10-round string, right? I'll do that with my comp guns and shoot like a 10-round group and just see how it, how it, how it goes. Um, but with magnums, I'll shoot three, let it cool, shoot three, let it cool, shoot three. So I'll have nine shots in a group or something like that. And I want it to stay in there, you know. I don't yeah. want big flyers. But if you're shooting half-inch, like I'm pretty happy with that, especially yeah. in light guns. Gotcha. So, so uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, John. We really appreciate having you. You're, you're a wealth yeah, of knowledge. Sure. You uh, – you know, you shoot great. Your your knowledge is uh, goes deep into the into the topic of, of <laughs> long range guns shooting really well. And uh, I love more so that you're not just a steel puncher. That you you did all this because you love to hunt, and then you like to go take oh, what yeah. you know and and to uh, you know put it in animals. So, do you have any big plans for twenty four that you you're putting together? Uh, yeah. I mean, we're working on it. Um, got. There's a bunch of connections. We're probably going to go back up to the territories this year, kind of finalizing that for doll sheep, um, maybe caribou on a trophy fee. Um, I'm trying to finish my North American 29. I was up at um, Kodiak, was number 27 uh, in December. I went up there and killed a pretty good blacktail up there. And so that was number 27. So I have got a polar bear left and a Rocky Mountain bighorn. And so kind of working through that, maybe polar bear this spring. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's not in concrete that we're working on. So gotcha. yeah, there's some hunts coming up. So we'll see um, kind of how things work out. Some of it comes down to raffle drawings and some luck and some yeah. other things. So yeah, so we'll see. And then Blacktail, like I, I love Blacktail hunting around here when time 
time permits. So yeah. It was fun. This year was fun. They bumped the Oregon season dates back this year to like it ran to uh, November 10th. And so I got back from the finale and I had five days to hunt, which was awesome. So nice. I was running around with my rifle and passed on more big blacktails than I've ever passed looking for a giant, but didn't shoot one, but I had a blast. Saw some yeah. big bucks at two, 300 yards that you normally wouldn't see because of the dates. So that was a lot of fun. That's so, cool. That's cool. Yeah, we'll see. We'll fit, we'll fit something in and there's always hunts that come up last you, minute. So you're going to bring that six and a half PRC up there for the polar bear. You're going to pick up a, a bigger so. gun. You think so? Maybe bring the six, maybe bring the six dasher up there for the bear. <laughs> no, I'll probably just bring a 30. I, I'm assuming go. probably just the 300 Norma. So I was yeah. actually going to talk with a guy who might actually shoot with solid just to test generally up there. It's I've been up there once before um, for Ben's for uh, my buddy Ben's hunt in November. And, um, it's uh, generally not long. It's not a really long range uh, hunt the way it lays out. Um, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting. It's an interesting deal. So I might take solid up there as, as a test. So we'll see. Cool. Cool. Well, how can, uh, how can all our listeners follow along? I know you're not, you know, you're, you're all over the, the PRS and the, the NRL stuff and there's articles and the, you know, all the, all the shooting support that you get, yeah. but um, you don't seem to be huge mostly on social, social. but, but, the, but it yeah. is there. I, I just have my mostly just Instagram. Instagram. I, I so far behind and post on half my stuff this yeah. year. I have a love hate. I mostly a hate relationship with social. I but I do need. To, I like seeing other people's hunting stuff, so I need to post more. So I'll be posting stuff on there. But just it's just uh, John Pinch at, uh, on Instagram. J O N P Y N C H. And I'm blocked, so you got to search me to find me. I'm not, <laughs> I guess I'm a. Whatever I posted last night, I posted this picture of I was up in Alaska on the, we were on a bear hunt this year, and I shot a harlequin. I posted a picture of that with a, uh, like a over under and my, I'm, my profile is banned for nudity because of that duck picture. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? And anyway, so there you go. That's where I'm at. But, um, yeah, follow along, post pictures of, uh, mostly hunting stuff, a little bit of comp stuff, but reach out, shoot me a message. If I can help you. Well, um, generally respond on Instagram relatively quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you have any questions, more than happy to help you guys with what I can. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's all no, good. appreciate, Lots appreciate chatting with you. Usually uh, our conversations are John, I got something's not going right with this, this load <laughs> or this gun or, um, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's nice to sit down and, and have a chat about, you know, yeah, for sure. everything shooting and uh, not, not even everything like barely scratch the surface on everything shooting. You know, you, you could probably yeah. talk for, days but um appreciate having you um good luck on all your hunts this year john and we'll stay in touch you too thanks for having me on man Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over 
to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.